Welcome to the GoTo Podcast. In this episode, Asim Hussain, Green Cloud Advocate at Microsoft, chats with Preben, CTO of Triforks Switzerland, about the impact software has on CO2 emissions, the tools and initiatives that can lead to sustainable software, and some of the important progress made so far. Created for developers, by developers, GoTo gathers the best minds in the software community. Stay up to date with the latest in tech through GoTo's top-rated events held online and in person in Chicago, Amsterdam, and Copenhagen, and by subscribing to the GoTo Conferences YouTube channel, where you can find thousands more high-quality dev talks. Learn more at gotopia.tech. Thanks for joining us today. With us, we have Asim Hussain, who is... He's a green cloud advocate for Microsoft. Asim, what does that mean? What is what is green cloud? Um, green cloud advocacy at Microsoft is all about uh, building what we call green applications. And a green application is what we describe as an application that is carbon efficient. So for each gram of carbon that this application is responsible for emitting into the atmosphere, you get the most valuable, you get the most work out of it as possible. Um, and that's really what what kind of building uh, what a green application is according to our definition. And um, although my title has green cloud advocate, it, it, it has the word cloud inside it. Um, I, I not only work from a, a cloud perspective, but also from a, a client perspective. So I work very closely with people in our organization who work on the Windows side of the equation, on the mobile app development side of the equation. And we all care about how do we actually build applications that are greener? How do we build applications that emit less carbon into our atmosphere? Um, and that's really kind of what we do, what, what we talk about and how we describe kind of green cloud and green cloud advocacy. Now that opens up a lot of questions. Like, how can I build my app in such a way that it actually has an impact on the CO2 emission? So there's two, there's two, there's actually quite, there's a couple of different ways of looking at this, looking at this, uh, this opportunity, an opportunity for an engineer, for somebody who's involved in the process of building uh, applications, be it an engineer or a designer, anybody who's involved in the process of building software. The first division that you might look at is, is software that helps the world become more sustainable. So a great example of that might be um, um, AI applications that you're using to help figure out how many trees there are on the planet. Like that's that's one way that you're using software and technology and your skills in that space to be more sustainable. The other division is how do I actually make sure that my applications, my software itself is running more sustainably because software and IT in our whole industry, as well as being a potential solution to a lot of our sustainability problems, is also a cause of a lot of our problems. There's some stats out there that are quite useful. Right now, just data centers consume about 1% of all the world's electricity. And actually, most electricity is, is still quite dirty. It's still created through, through the burning of fossil fuels. But that's predicted to increase by the end of 2030 to three to eight percent, depending on the growth of our industry. If you look at the entire ICT sector, all of all the not just data centers, all of networking, all of devices, everything, 
is predicted to, by 2040, uh, to be responsible for 14% of all carbon emissions. So the other question is, is how do you actually build software which itself uh, emits less carbon? And then you can further divide that into two categories. Um, we're, 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 this is a binary search tree of how do we actually solve this problem. So the, 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 how, you, how you can split that into two, and one is called carbon-efficient applications and one is called carbon-aware applications. So a carbon-efficient application is one that just the user doesn't know. The user has no idea that someone's done anything. It just for, it just, it's just more efficient and it just emits less carbon. The user behavior, the functionality, everything is the same. A carbon aware application is something that changes behavior, um, because, uh, to, to emit less carbon emissions. One example of that might be a version of Windows that only charges your laptop if the, renewable if the wind is is blowing and the sun is shining in your local area and therefore you're 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 probably going to charge through um through through renewable power and renewable energy that's called a carbon aware application a carbon efficient application and and these this this is all for a lot of engineers and a lot of people involved in the process of building software this is completely what i'm just explaining right now is completely new it requires a completely new set of skills it's not something that we're taught already. So that's kind of one of the things that we're doing is we're growing this field called green software engineering, which is going to help engineers understand the skills that they need in order to build carbon efficient and carbon aware applications. There's a few resources out there right now to, to, to explain some of this stuff. One of them is a website called principles.green, which lists what's called the eight principles of, of, of green software engineering. There's some work that we've done in, in Microsoft, um, aka.ms slash SSE slash learn, which is kind of a video material of the same. We've got blogs. And um, one of the things we've just launched and quite excited about is a foundation called the Green Software Foundation, which is a collaboration with many other organizations who are also looking at green software engineering to kind of grow this field, provide education, training, certification, things like that to, to really teach people who you know involved in building software how do you the skills for, for them to know how to build green software well it's a very long answer to your question but uh i think we covered the, the covets there yeah and i was actually delighted that you started by mentioning that we can all do something by simply building software that supports sustainability in this world because I really think that we, as a software business, we have a huge impact on what's going on in the world. So if we could all just be a little bit more mindful about this, I'm sure it could have a huge impact. There's a, there's a wonderful statistic I would love to throw in right now, which I think is quite, quite, quite impactful, which is that um, all, those, all those numbers I gave you previously, the 1% of electricity, 14% of carbon emissions by 2040. Right now, we think there's about 30 million software software developers in the world 30 million um we can uh, there's a, that's a small number of people who have influence over a very significant amount of our carbon emissions we can influence 30 million people we can we don't even need to influence 30 million people not everybody in a team needs to be um uh, the, the the security lead for the for a product to be secure, 
I, I, I say to myself and I say to others, I think we only need to influence 1 million software engineers. If we can get to 1 million software engineers, we can move a very big lever with sustainability. And I think that's one of the, one of the most impactful things uh, about our industry and, and kind of why we need to work in this space. Yeah, maybe we should even start to teach sustainability at the university. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the questions I get. I get asked a lot, especially from um, uh, government organizations. A lot of governments uh, out there are really, really keen to to make sure that sustainability is now taught in syllabuses. Not so much even that that, that people are just aware of sustainability, but because they see a fu- the future is a future in which every single industry be it software, every single industry is going to go through a green transformation and people need to be skilled up in those fields if they want to make sure they have, um, you know, if, if countries want to make sure they have kind of gainful employment in kind of 10, 20 years time. You mentioned carbon efficient applications. I once read that just if if Google just decided to make the default screen color black instead of white, it would have a huge impact on the energy consumption out there. Is that true? That is, well, it, it, I, I don't know if it, I think, I think the world has moved on a little bit from that time because that was, that was around 2000 when, you know, kind of the, 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 you know, the amount of computation that people are using was a lot less. The actual, so the actual problem now is that we've kind of, it's, your display, when it comes to, to, to your laptop, your display, is going to be the biggest consumer, oftentimes the biggest consumer of electricity. However, it depends on your display because if you have an LCD screen, then showing um, LCD with an LCD screen, black, showing black uses energy and showing, uh, uses more energy than showing white. With an OLED screen, Showing white uses more energy than showing black. So now, now it just depends. But back in those days when that, when that report came out, that was when we were all looking at, remember the old monitors, the CRT monitors, like where they were just scanner yes. across the, yeah. In that time, it was like showing, uh, black was no energy and showing white required energy. So that's why flipping to black was, was less energy. Um, yeah, it's a complicated answer. Like everything in sustainability space these days, is a complicated answer. But I assume we are talking big, big numbers here. Do you have any statistics about, you were mentioning 1% and maybe this will increase and by the year of 2030, there's another goal and eventually it will peak. Um, just to give me something to relate to, what are the numbers, the amounts of CO2 that our business mm. is responsible for now? Can you state a couple of numbers? Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a couple of uh, comparisons. Um, one comparison that was made was versus um, the 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 aviation industry, which is the um, which is often which is often misquoted. Actually, it's often quoted that it's kind of about equivalent to the aviation industry. It is it is slightly less because it's 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 equivalent to the the fuel that the aviation industry consumes. Um, well, it used to consume not so much these days. Um, so that's one of them. When it, when we talk about kind of the future, we talk about 14%. 14% is currently about all, is, is currently all transportation. So everything. So 14% right now is all boats, all planes, all cars. That's 14% right now. Um, 
And that's kind of one of the things with these percentages, because when I because I even mentioned like one percent, and I know people have like what's one percent? One percent is a huge number. One um, percent is 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 if 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 we in our entire industry can help move the needle for one percent, that's a that's a number worth moving because we're not the only people in the world focusing in on this. Like every single sector, the whole of the agricultural industry is is looking at this. The whole of the transportation sector is looking at this. Um, the whole of the energy sector is looking at this so really this is about what can we do in our sector um and what what is the battle what is our battlefront and what do we need to do in in the tech sector to help me that me out me what what is our responsibility for that slice of the pie and talking about what can we do how do i get started here so i recommend so First thing I recommend doing is 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 heading to the website, perhaps principles.green or 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 the Microsoft version of it, which is acca.ms slash SSE slash learn. Um I, I made both of them. The principles.green one just has uh the, the Microsoft one just has slightly better graphics than the other one. So you the, the both have the both have the same material. Um that that'd be the first place just 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 to get started in kind of learning about this. The next stage I would do is is now that we've launched the foundation. Uh, the Green Software Foundation. This is going to be the the place where we all get everybody gathered around, start focusing on, on this area, building the community of people and the education, the training. So I recommend then heading to greensoftware.foundation and for now, just sign up to the newsletter. Um, and then from that point forward, we will then just, uh, you know, be contacting people as we, as, as, as we open up the, the membership, start working on more open source material, start creating training. Um, if you're an organization and you're interested in joining, you know, you can head to that website as well. And there's an apply for membership button at the bottom. It's managed by the Linux Foundation. So it's, it's, they, they handle, um, all of the operations of, of our, and, and, and a lot of the governance for our foundation. And uh, you can find out more information on how to join as an organization and get involved from that perspective. Do you have an organization behind you within Microsoft? So internally, we have what's called the the Green Software Engineering Working Group, um, which is just a, a collection of people from across all different divisions of Microsoft, because Microsoft's quite a... Um, a, a diversified company. So we've got people in there from the window. I'm in the cloud division, but we've got we, people in there from the windows. Uh, we've got people in there from Microsoft research, from Xbox, from LinkedIn, from GitHub, um, from our subsidiaries, um, you know, all across Microsoft. Everybody who's really been asking themselves, asking themselves a question, you know, how do we solve this problem from a sustain, from a software angle? Um, we're just kind of a, a great place. Uh, that, that, that's kind of this group that we have behind us. Um, and also I would say one of the, one of the most amazing things about Microsoft I, I, I love. And, and if you hear our chief environmental officer, Lucas Jopper talk about it, like we have a four, I can't believe we have a 4,000 strong green team inside Microsoft. So like 4,000 employees who've joined, uh, 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 what's called like an internal community. Um, and, and they do amazing things all over the world. There's chapters in almost every single country. They work on how do we green up our campuses? Um, the Indian campus did some amazing stuff. They've now built like a, a bioreactor so that all of the, all of the waste from the canteen is put into a bioreactor, which turns into fuel, which powers the campus. 
And so these are kind of like, these are things that just run by the, the green team. And when I, when, and when people talk about kind of Microsoft's big announcement that we made last year, I mean, that was done with collaboration and communication with the green team. Um, you know, leads because there's 4,000 people in Microsoft who are talking very lively about sustainability. It makes it very easy for the CEO to talk about sustainability. And kind of one of the first things I always tell people to do inside their organizations is, is try and grow like a grassroots green team. Um, that's the, that's the most powerful thing you can do. And actually, one thing you mentioned here uh, that didn't strike me before. The Xbox team, I could imagine that they're actually responsible for a lot of energy yeah. consumption. And, and, and the Surface team as well. So, so for, for Xbox and, and cause Microsoft also builds things. So they build things. So we, we build a lot of things. So some companies out there, most of their carbon emissions are from the, just the electricity that they're consuming. But because Microsoft actually builds things and sells things, um, we have the carbon emissions from all the components of everything that we built and sold. So like every single thing that goes into an Xbox released emissions in like the, just the, the chemical process by which you make the materials and the electricity that you need to make, make materials. And also an Xbox will consume electricity when we sell it to someone, they plug it in. And that's actually also one of the things that, that, that Microsoft did with our announcement last year is, is that, um, I was quite surprised when I first got into this space. I thought, I thought, I thought the terms like carbon neutral, I thought they were very clearly defined and that, and that it was, and there were bodies and it's not carbon neutral is a very ill-defined term. There's no global definition. The US EPA has a definition, which is, um, so when you talk about, there's there's this thing called a greenhouse gas protocol, which is, you, it's just like an accounting mechanism for your carbon, which is scope one is all the carbon that you, you, you release into the atmosphere by just burning things. Like you burn petrol in your cars. Scope two is all the carbon emissions you released because of the electricity you've consumed and that electricity released carbon emissions in its, in its production. And scope three is like all the carbon emissions from your value chain. So from everything that you bought to build stuff. And then when you sell that stuff to your consumers, everything that gets released because of your stuff, that's your scope three. And your scope three for Microsoft is the biggest. And for a lot of companies, it's the biggest. To be carbon neutral, the definition is offset your scope one, your scope two. And it's up to you how much of your scope three you want to. You can do however much you want, but we recommend doing a big one. So so that's why carbon neutral is, has, has often been kind of this, this, this troublesome term. And what Microsoft did at the start of last year when we announced our net zero pledge is that we count all of it, scope one, two, and scope three. And what that means, to go back to your question, is that it means the Xbox is fully accounted for. Everything that came went into the Xbox, we count as our carbon thing. And everything that the Xbox will emit through its use is we count as our scope three, and we are offsetting all of it. It easily becomes a very complicated equation here. Like, what if the hosting center, if we could, or I know we do that, reuse all the heat, that means that somewhere else in the chain, we don't have to produce that heat. So how does we make up for that in the calculations? So there is, so there is this thing called the greenhouse gas protocol, which I won't pretend to, to, to understand in a, in a, in a, 
in a full sense, but there is uh, an entire team of people inside Microsoft, uh, the department that kind of works on kind of calculating those those numbers. When it comes to, um, I think what you're describing is kind of if 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 you use more. So, like for instance, if you use more energy to cool down a server, that energy emitted carbon in its creation. So that's what ha- that's how you factor in that carbon cost into your total carbon cost. And then, um, and there's lots of things that we do from a data center perspective, and we're exploring to kind of reduce the uh, the the carbon emissions. So one of the things that we do at Microsoft, or we've done recently, is what's called the circularity centers that we're rolling out across a number of different places. And it's basically it's a very simple idea, which is what if we just had a, a, a large space or a room in each data center where we put all of the broken servers and we just took them apart and we made sure that we that everything that could be reused was reused instead of just throwing it away. Okay, how much of this stuff can we reuse together? And that's kind of one of the things that 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 we did is is a circularity center. Um and uh and there's a but there's some there's some cool technologies out there. There's there's um immersion immersion cooling, which is you, you can actually dip a server. So when we cool a server, you're trying to use air to cool something. But actually, different materials are much better at cooling things. So there's different kind of fluids that you can dip a server in. And then that makes it a lot more efficient in the cooling. It uses less energy. And there's other things like storing data takes a lot of energy. So what are, what are other technologies you can use to actually store data instead of this, this stuff we've been using for, for decades, like magnetic storage systems? Um, are there like, uh, there's, there's research into kind of DNA storage or really high-tech things are are in the pipeline but yeah thank you thanks a lot thanks for sharing this with us thanks for listening to this episode of the GoTo podcast head over to gotopia.tech for lots more content from the brightest minds in software development mm-hmm.